So anyway, without warning, without any hint or preview, a stranger whips around and he sees me. You saw his face? His face? No. His eyes. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm two of your hosts, Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you? Good, good, good. How are you? Oh, I am doing fantastico, Bartek. I am here and ready to talk about a movie. I'm very excited. I'm very keen to talk about the movie that came recommended. But first, could you tell us all why we're called what we are and what our show is? Well, our parents named us our names. (laughs) But why is our podcast called what it is? To remind us all, and what is our show Pictures Powwow all about? Well, much like our parents, we're the parents of the podcast, so we named it Spit and Polish Presents, because we like the name, and we are always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. Isn't that right, Ryan? Yes. And what was the other part of the question? I forgot, I was so enthusiastic about the answer. so enraptured with it all. (laughs) It's what's Pictures Pow Wow about? Pictures Pow Wow, that's the uh, show that we are doing right now. It is the show in which we review a movie that has come recommended to us, whether it's from myself, yourself, or the listening people's self. And this episode happens to be a listening people's self recommendation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. They, we've picked a film that's been recommended to us, and the rest of this episode is going to be us reviewing and discussing it, essentially. In full details, full spoilers, so we always say check out the film for yourself in case you're very interested and you're wanting to see it. You're going to get spoiled if you listen to us first, so please, if you're interested in checking out the film, watch it and then come back to us. Bartek, you said it's listening people's recommendation. Who was the listening person and what did they recommend? Yep, so our recommender for this episode is my stepbrother Maciek, who previously recommended us Bedazzled. Um, He has recommended us uh, the 1995 film Desperado. Exactly right. Directed by uh, very well-known director Robert Rodriguez. So, Desperado, let's talk about it. Bartek, what is your history and relationship with this feature film? Um, well, much like with Bedazzled, I saw this film because of my stepbrother. One day, many years ago, he visited me with uh, a DVD box that had the trilogy that this film is a part of. The A, a guitar case filled with DVDs, yes. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, I don't know what people call the trilogy. It seems like it's either the Mexico trilogy or the El Mariachi trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um and we watched the first two films back-to-back, El Mariachi and Desperado. Um, and I remember it being, you know, a, a fun little session watching both the films. Um, and ever since then, I have not rewatched them. You never saw the third one, Once Upon a Time in Mexico? No, I never got around to it. Oh, what a shame. It's shit. But what a shame. What a shame. <laughs> it, it's shit that I never watched it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's joined yeah, yeah. the ranks of movie sequels like Blues Brothers 2000, Rambo, and Shock Treatment of sequels that I never saw. 
Yes, yes. Rambo's sequels and Shock Treatment, the Rocky Horror sequel. Yes, yes. So I watched this movie as a young person. My parents got it on DVD. It was in a double pack with El Mariachi. And we then had to separately buy the third film, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And I have watched El Mariachi a couple of times, but I cannot remember it for the life of me. Because Desperado blows it out of the water so thoroughly for me, so that is the one I remember. And Once Upon a Time in Mexico um, wipes its dirty ass all over the other two movies, so I on purposely try to excise it from my mind. And so I've seen this movie a fair amount of times. I will be honest, it's been a very long time, though, since I've watched it. I don't think I've watched it in about a decade. I don't think I've watched it since I was living at home with my parents and had it on DVD. So it was great to revisit this with a a fresh perspective, you know, uh, having seen a bunch of movies, talked a bunch of movies with you over the years, and... uh, having seen a lot of Rodriguez films and a lot of films with a lot of these actors in them. Uh, I mean, how many of these actors have we seen pop up from time to time in uh, in an episode of the podcast? We've had a few, haven't we? Yeah, Salma Hayek we've definitely seen in, um, in, in Wargasm. What was it called again? Savages. Savages. You recommended um, Steve- it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Steve Buscemi, we saw him in Fargo. Cheech Marin, I think, was in Kidnap. Um, Bubble mm-hmm. Boy had our boy Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've not had Antonio Banderas. It feels like we have, but maybe we have I not. Don't, I don't think we have had him. Welcome, Antonio. You're here at the club where we're having Yay. fun and everyone's <laughs> a good time. I think I've seen like two or three films with you in it. Spy Kids 1, Spy Kids 2, Spy Kids 3. Oh, was he in them? Then, then six films. He's the dad. He's the dad. I barely remember the Spy Kids films. What? They're directed by Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> That's why he's in them. <laughs> yeah, so I saw Desperado. I mentioned this at the end of our previous episode. Desperado was one of the first R-rated movies that my parents let me watch in full. And uh, what a glorious one to pop that cherry, or at least one of the first ones to pop that cherry. I remember having so much fun with this movie. I was so thrilled by the violence that I was allowed to witness when I was young. I was like, ooh, violence, it's so gruesome, and there's chunks of brain everywhere and blood galore. Oh, what a glorious time, and it's so over the top. The the guitar case that shoots out guns for him to grab midair, and oh, the bazooka guitar case, and all of that stuff, it was it was definitely a memorable first R-rated 18-plus movie. Do you remember what, what that movie was for you in terms of the first 18-plus movie that you were allowed to watch in full? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I know that once when I was on a flight, I, in case you don't know, I've, I've been on flights before, um... Yes. I, I there there was like a selection of movies that I could watch and they had age ratings on them, but I think they weren't Australian age ratings, so I saw a film rated R according to the thing, 
and I think you've seen it. It's called. It's a British film called Keeping Mum. <laughs> yes, I saw that in the cinema. Yeah, apparently that's rated R somewhere. So I remember when I picked that, I'm like, "Ooh, this is R-rated." But then when I watch it, I'm like, "Oh, it must be a different country's, you know, standards of R." It has tits um, in the first five minutes. That movie does. Yeah, that's probably it. Um, but in terms of like, uh, on the same level as you, I'm really not sure what it would have been. I know there must be something though. What was it? This? How old were you when you saw this? Oh, dude, this was definitely within like the last eight years. Okay, so you didn't see this when you were younger. It wasn't like, dude, your brother, uh, your stepbrother was like, okay, now we watch Dude, Where's My Car? Now let's put on Desperado. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. This was just, well, if it was, then he would have been living with me. That wasn't. This was a visit when we watched it. Fair enough. So, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie to the point at which this rivals one of my favourite openings to a movie ever which we all know if we're listeners of the pod i love the opening of intolerable cruelty i love the cold opening of that movie i've watched that a billion times on its own and desperado is the other movie that i rival with that in which i've watched this opening of steve buscemi's narration and him telling the story and cheech marin and and all of that and antonio gunning down that place i've watched that opening a bajillion times because it's just so fucking good. It's funny, it's violent, it's well-paced, there's a genuine sense of tension, you've got these great character actors doing exactly what you want from them. It's everything I want this movie to be, and it encapsulates the movie for me. That opening is the movie for me. Uh, how do you feel about that opening, uh, uh, opening cold, that cold open to the movie, Bartek? It's... A very, yeah, it's a very impressionable opening. It, it tells you what the movie is. Um, in terms of me fleshing out my answer, this is where I, uh, this is where I begin for the episode. Uh, <laughs> I watched El Mariachi and this film back to back last night. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I remember in that first viewing I had with my stepbrother, I enjoyed El Mariachi more. And so I wanted to, uh, you know, basically re-experience the the double feature um and with what you said earlier about how desperado blows el mariachi out of the water mm-hmm. i'm the opposite opposite i really really like el mariachi and moving on to this film um it, it was very much like a tonal change for me yes. like the, the thing the thing that i really liked more is, is gone now and this is going to be something a little bit different Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember having the same experience with uh, that first viewing when I had with my stepbrother of, you know, that first film, it's all done in Spanish. It's very low budget. It's very tonally different. Um, and when this film begins, you know, one of the first things you see is Steve Buscemi, who is very much, you know, not uh, not a symbol of what the first film was. So it was very different. And also it was in, in English. So even yeah. those very two basic facts uh you know set the tone very strongly for what this trilogy is going to be going forward mm-hmm. um and you know that that's that's a good thing you know it it shows you what the film and the sequel i assume is going to be um in terms of the scene itself yeah i think that also helps lend it um you know an establishing of of its identity 
Mm. You want your first scene to be, you know, like this or like intolerable cruelty, where you you see that the um the dialogue, you see what the dialogue, what kind of sense of humor this film's going to have. Yeah, yeah, and also just visually what the film is going to be presenting to you, how the film visually is going to play around with the genre trappings that it's clearly aping off of, whilst also introducing for first-time viewers or back then just viewers of Robert Rodriguez's personality within the film because he is of a generation of great filmmakers, right? Or filmmakers with overt personalities who obviously obsess over certain types of movies from their childhood. Him and... I mean, Tarantino's fucking in this movie, of course. So... Mm They love their specific genre types movies, and they obviously um, homage them and ape them and recreate them in this in their films. But they still have their own strict uh, filmmaking style and voice, and uh, the visuals of the opening really capture that as well. With Rodriguez of letting us know that yes, he's aware of these type of films, and yes, he's aware of the Mexican culture, but he's also good enough to imbue this opening as well as the rest of the movie with his own individuality. He doesn't become trapped in this one, to me, of just trying to do the genre stuff like he does later in his career, specifically with Planet Terror, for instance, in which that movie's just fucking bizarre. It's good, but it's not It's not this. So you watched El Mariachi. I didn't. I kind of wish... That you tip me in because, like, I don't know. Like, I haven't watched it in years. I don't remember much about it. I remember it was cheaper. I remember it was far more of a serious nature in comparison to this one. I remember some of the visuals, of course. Uh, but I did not watch it. I just watched Desperado on its own. So I'm judging this movie on its own merits. Uh, trying to remove what the third one did as well. And like I said, I love this movie. I love it so much. But I haven't watched it in well over a decade. So I was coming back to it being like, okay, let's see what the movie is. Because when I was younger, I just liked it because it was violent and over the top and funny. That's the thing. It's very funny. You liked it for a lot of its raw appeal. Yes, yes, yes. A lot of its raw appeal. And I found it very, just, it amused me as a kid. I was like, this is a very, I love Steve Buscemi. You know this. Everyone knows. I love Steve Buscemi, so I love having him in the movie for the brief time. And he does exactly what Steve Buscemi does, which is abruptly die. <laughs> yeah, you you love a lovable guy. I love a lovable guy, Mr. Pink. He's in full Mr. Pink mode in this movie. And <laughs> I love Danny Trejo. I love Antonio Banderas, Sam Hayek. But I haven't seen this in a decade. So my experience walking in and walking out of it was a newfound appreciation for something that I didn't think this movie had, which is one word, camp. This movie's camp. That's how I would describe it. It's awesome, it's got some serious stuff, but for the most part, this movie is very much a camp movie with high energy over the top. And when I say camp, that doesn't mean 60s Batman or Joel Schumacher. There are examples of camp that aren't that. I mean, John Waters has that in his career as well. He has his own version of camp. This is Rodriguez's wheelhouse, is 
is imbuing these different genres to fusing these genres together but the overriding principle i felt was a light tone to this movie it was it would often take the silly route over the serious one and i felt that it was extremely camp what do you think about that statement it is very very definitely camp yeah the, the especially compared to el mariachi which that film's you know modus operandi is you know that saying about how um, coincidences can only effectively be used to get people into trouble, not out of trouble. Mm. That film, all of the conflict is that coincidence has put our main character into trouble, and it really gives it a, tr- uh, you know, this kind of very tragic, sad tone, you know, a bittersweet ending. You know, we see a remake of the ending in this film. Um, so to move into this film where, it is being, you know, a bit more cheeky, you know, that opening scene with Steve mm. Buscemi and, you know, making fun of the people in the bar. Um, it really shows you like, oh, okay, th- this film's definitely going to be a bit more playful and it's really, really going to embrace it. Yeah, it lets you know straight off the bat what this is going to be tonally. And it weaves in and out of it really well because it it works. Okay, so when people hear the word, it, when they hear the phrase, it's camp, a lot of people are, are, are repulsed by that. They go, Ugh, I don't know, that means bad. Because there have been famously bad examples of camp. The Joel Schumacher Batman movies, for instance. They're camp, but they're bad examples of what that can be. And people think of it as too much. And I think for this movie, judging it on its own merits, strip it away from it being a sequel or follow-up or a redo of El Mariachi, I think it rides the line perfectly of how camp it needs to be because it isn't camp 110%. It's not always, always, always being silly. It knows when to strip it back. It knows when to play the serious moments as serious. And it knows when to make those serious moments just a 10% a little bit sillier than they need to be and not break it. Like, the bad guy in this movie, he's in a serious movie, but they have those little touches here and there in which that's incredibly silly, whether it be a henchman he has or a moment in which him being serious is making the scene funny in its own right. But he's playing it like he's in a real movie, and that's the important thing. Antonio Banderas is playing it like it's in a, he's in a real fil- film, not winking at the camera. I think a lot of people mistake camp as them winking at the camera all the time. Steve Buscemi, incredibly funny in this movie, he's never winking at the camera that he's being silly. He's playing this as Steve Buscemi does, as a fucking professional, as Mr. Pink would say. I'm a professional. And I love all of that stuff, but you, it seems like your big issue with the movie is, as a sequel... It betrays or doesn't live up to or is too different from its original film, which is El Mariachi. Yeah, d- definitely. If I'm going to be talking about it from the perspective of it is a sequel, there's going to be a lot of, you know, c- criticisms, but I am going to try to talk about it by its own merit. Well, yeah, because as a sequel, how does this, like, how does this work exactly? Because I don't remember the ending of El Mariachi all that much. So is this uh, like trying to be the same characters or anything? Or is this just a, a complete like 
Evil Dead 2 situation in which it's just kind of remaking the original but making it sillier? What's the go? With me, I feel like the fact that this film is kind of so lighthearted and our main character has the personality that he does have, it feels based on how El Mariachi ended that this isn't kind of how he would end up. Like, the ending of El Mariachi really made it seem like, you know, this is going to be a sad, defeated man who has basically become... Because the main plot of the first film is a huge uh, series of coincidences in which our main character is thought to be a, you know, ruthless assassin kind of character, even though he's just a humble mariachi man. That film is essentially set in a world where it's this one lone guy versus this, you know, drug cartel kingpin guy, and our main character is just a, you know, roaming musician who gets caught up in it and everything gets taken away from him. He loses his guitar, his hand gets shot so he can no longer, you know, become the mariachi he wanted to be, you know, he lost the girl, all his dreams are dead, and now he has to just, you know, move on with what he's, you know, been left as. Um, and so the fact that he, you know, kind of is this new quippy guy, let's not also forget, it's a different actor playing him now. Mm-hmm. Um, the original actor is in this film. He plays the guy with the two Gatling gun uh, mm-hmm. guitar cases, mm. uh, which is neat. This film does have quite a few cameos from the previous actors. Um, and yeah, just, you know, it's a huge tonal change. You know, if I really liked that first film, it's not so much because of um its campy qualities it definitely has its own you know sense of humor and campy qualities and you know funny little editing mm. things and there is a very legendary shot of a dog with sunglasses <laughs> um which you know that will forever live in my heart um so yeah just the fact that this the follow up film is you know so different in tone and also feels a lot more typical high budget hollywoody it it kind of just feels yeah it 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 doesn't really feel like the type of film that yeah, I love. It's still incredibly low budget for what it is, like for these type of movies, yet it still feels like it's got a bigger budget than Tank on Cash. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and also, yeah, this film has like a twist at the end that, yeah, just kind of complicates like the whole nature of everything that happened in the first film, like on top of all of the coincidences and stuff. So the El Mariachi cinematic universe isn't coherent enough for you? Uh, Well, I don't know. This third film might have fixed it. No, 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 no. In the third film, in the third film, Cheech Marin's in it as the same character, but he has an eye patch. Didn't he get a shot in the forehead? (laughs) Yes, yes. You should have a forehead patch. And in the sequel, Daddy Tre- the third one, Daddy Treo's just in it again. This guy with knives. It's supposed to be the same guy. It's like, he died. Johnny Depp's basically the Quentin Tarantino role, but he's menacing instead of stupid. It's it's a movie. We I don't have enough time to talk about it. Let's talk about Desperado. Mm-hmm. I think Antonio Banderas is great in this because you say he's quippy. I didn't think of him as all that quippy, but more like... Um, he feels like a silent movie stooge character in which he is presented in the opening by Steve Buscemi as this legendary badass motherfucker, which he does do, but for the most part of it, he's kind of an idiot who doesn't want to hurt anybody, but everyone wants to hurt him, and he kills people like um, 
out of self-defense for a good portion of it. And then, obviously, as the film goes along, he starts just killing motherfuckers. But for the mo- for like a lot of the humor comes from him like playing it as if he is this old 1930s comedian who's like, oh boy, ah, and like doesn't want to hurt people, but he does hurt people because they're trying to hurt him. And... There's so many moments like that, like the classic, he shoots the fan and the fan lands on the guy and then they walk over, he walks over and the guy's just getting hit in the face by the, by the blades of the fan. Like, it's so slapsticky in its uh, delivery. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just restate. So the criticism I had of him being quippy and like not the same character, that's from the context of me looking at it as a sequel on its own merits. Yeah, he's, he's very charismatic and he's a fun guy to follow. And he's brooding. He broods a lot. <laughs> and he's got long hair. That's broody too. Yeah, yeah, he has his long, gorgeous, sexy hair. Um, so, okay. The story plays out. We're talking about it being camp. So let's talk about the bits that made us laugh. Did you have anyone in particular that made you laugh? And did you have a particular favorite moment that made like any moment in particular that made you laugh? Um, the villain had quite a lot of little funny scenes. Like, he, he, you see him quite a bit throughout the film, you know, leading his henchmen. Um, he's got that whole speech about, uh, you know, if you, if you see a guy with a gun and you don't know him, you shoot mm-hmm. him. And then he, like, you, you plays pretend that he doesn't recognize someone in the crowd and he kills him. This guy's not afraid to, you know, kill his own men and make a, like, joke about it. <laughs> My favorite from him was when those American tourists walked into the bar that had just been shot to hell and he yells at them like, how'd you see that? We're fucking closed! <laughs> that was that was a particular standout moment from him that I enjoyed very much. He played it so well. He lived and died on his shoulders and he delivered that joke moment very well because, again, he's playing it like a serious villain and him being a serious villain in that moment made the joke work for me. Yeah, I like that he began by kind of sounding like he was going to be polite. Can't you see that we are closed? <laughs> <laughs> so was he the one that brought you the laughs just because of his weirdness in terms of he's being a real villain, but they're throwing silly things at him? Um, He was the first one that came to mind for sure. Obviously, Steve Buscemi in the first scene was really good too. Um, Cheech Marin had a lot of really funny, you know, retorts to things. I thought he would be your guy. I thought Cheech would be your laugh out loud moment guy because he had that type of humor that rang true to your sensibilities. Oh yeah, I felt. yeah he definitely did. <laughs> Just the look on his face. He has such a hangdog expression on his face <laughs> at this movie. I loved his uh, little interaction with the um, the kind of valley girls that were leaving. It's like, I, you know, our waiter, is he still in the toilet? <laughs> I don't know. I love, um, and your beer tastes like piss. Yeah, because we piss in it, the other guys. <laughs> I love I love that so much. I love Cheech Marin in general. I think we've, we've had him on a couple of times. We had him on for Christmas with Cranks as well. And I like him. He's a very good actor. I think he's a very good comedic performer. And here, he he rides that line really well of being the hapless, dumb bartender who's also, like, a threatening motherfucker. Like, he has his moments in which he's a little bit intimidating. Uh, I mean, the way he deals with Quentin Tarantino throughout this movie was wonderful in that scene. 
Um, <laughs> what was that like for you to see Quentin Tarantino rock up? And did you remember he was in this? Um, I, I forgot that he was in it, but when the scene happened, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this scene. He He has the story. And did you remember the payoff to the story? Uh, no, I didn't, actually. So it was, yeah, I got to kind of re-experience it for the first time again. And was it funny? It was funny. Well, there you go, Quentin. Quentin, you're listening. Bartek found it funny. I I was clapping my feet, Quentin. Dirty feet. His dirty, dirty feet. (laughs) He just took off some boots so they're nice and dirty. Well, actually, I I just came out of the bath when I started watching the film. Oh, okay, so soapy feet, Quentin. <laughs> Soap all in there, bubbles all in those toes. Yep, I made, sh- I made nice. sure not to dry them. Yeah, yeah, now, Quentin, you've got to dirty them up yourself. Oh, brother. So, Desperado, it is interesting because Robert Rodriguez as a filmmaker is a, is a very fascinating figure. Uh, what is your relationship with him? Have you seen many of his movies, and uh, are you familiar with his style? Uh, definitely when I was a kid, I watched the first three Spy Kids films, I think all in cinemas, but that was the only time I watched them, so they yeah kind of quickly left my mind after that. Um, other films of his, yeah, obviously I've seen El Mariachi and Desperado, what else has he done? I know, From I, Dusk Till Dawn? No, I haven't seen that. And I have been aware, at least, that like later in his career, like he's notorious for his kids' films. <laughs> like I know I've seen trailers for a lot of them growing up, and I just kind of had a reaction of like, ooh, that looks very, you know, not for me. Sharkborn Lava Girl. Yeah, that's one that I know of. There was another one called Shorts, I think, which I saw the trailer for <laughs> a fair bit. He did Alita Battle Angel just recently. Oh, cool. Good eyes, I hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good eyes, I hear. Oh, it says yeah, here that he Sin also City? did Machete. I watched that at your place once. Yes, Machete and Machete Kills, because Machete is the uncle in the Spy Kids movies. Um, just a fun fact. Ooh, spin-off. Same, same character. I think the rule with Danny Trejo in his movies is he always names him after, like, a blade of some sort, or has him be blade-orientated, so... That's a thing. Well, yeah, it seems like uh, he I does like- have fun with names because, like in the in El Mariachi, all of the henchmen and, and the villain, all the bad guys, basically had like silly childhood nicknames for their names. So, like the main villain's name was like Booger in Spanish, not Bucho. No, it was Moco. Ah, you I saw see, him. He changed in- it. Yeah, you saw him in this film at the beginning. Good, good. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was one of the ones at the beginning. He was the guy in the white suit who shot his hand. Oh, cool, cool, cool. And, and his hen- so that must have been enthr- enthralling for you. Yeah, and his henchman that he, um, you know, lit his uh, lighter with on his, on his chin, like, that was a running gag throughout the first film. No, there you go. So you were happy. You are like, oh, this guy's going to be in the movie, right? Well, no, I knew that it was just a dream sequence because I remembered that from the first time, but I was really happy that they actually got them back and they looked, you know, exactly as they did in the first film three years prior. So, Robert Rodriguez is 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 interesting because people think of him as, I don't know how people think of him, but, like, in a weird way, he was a guy that started out really strong and he did violence and he did practical effects like this and uh, From Dusk Till Dawn and a few others. And then he did the Spy Kids movies, which is like cool. He did kids movies. 
but he had his flair to those movies. There was a definite strong pride in his uh, nationality and ethnicity and like the Mexican culture being put into those. And he's always had that be a, a running thing throughout them, whether it just be casting a lot of uh, actors or actually having it in the story. But then he started to do like the bigger budget movies, and he started to do stuff like Sin City was a real big turning point. People loved Sin City, and I think they still do, but I don't hear people talk about it all that much anymore. And nobody saw the sequel that came out like 14 years later. But it was a big, big movie, and it was heralded for its striking visuals and its use of special effects. And that is where he's fallen into the uh, what we call the James Cameron hole, in which Robert Rodriguez has forgotten or isn't as skilled anymore in making films, but doing special effects highlight reels. Um, and usually his special effects are bad, as you see with the Spy Kids movies. <laughs> But when given the budget with something like Alita Battle Angel or Sin City, say what you will about the look of the character of Alita Battle Angel, the special effects in that movie are are very prevalent and they're fairly decent for the most part. I saw that one in the cinema. And you can't deny the special effects are, are done well, but it's the choices of why they're done is the question that you ask yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I've felt frustrated with him for a number of years because I do miss this version of Rodriguez in which the effects were practical, the characters were more than just action set pieces to it happen. Like, the Desperado, El Mariachi here, he has a character. Antonio Banderas is allowed to play the dramatic scenes and allowed to play the comedic scenes. He isn't just there to kick ass and only kick ass. The exchanges he has with the little kid, for instance, I can't see Rodriguez doing that nowadays in his films, unless the kid was CGI. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, de- definitely um, with the scenes with the kid, uh, as a sequel to El Mariachi, those scenes were really good because the the kid's backstory was like very similar to uh, the, the, El- the main character's uh, situation in that first film so there was a lot of yeah little callback things mm. going on it, it really felt like the same character in those scenes particularly so i said at the end of the previous episode there was a moment of violence here that i remember seeing when i was a kid that i was like "Ooh, i wouldn't have been able to see this a year ago because it's so gruesome and now i'm allowed to watch an r-rated movie do you have a guess of what that moment of violence is yeah when film? he breaks the guitar yeah you got it you got it my parents wouldn't have let me see that. They would have said, yeah, sure. When he shoots that guy's brains all over himself, yeah, that moment you can watch, but the guitar breaking, that's just disrespectful. That's the one the where they're, tr- they're trying to find the... I'm oh, no, sorry, no, I was thinking of a different one. I was thinking of the scene where they were looking for the guns, but they were out of bullets, but he snapped his neck, he didn't shoot his brain out. No, 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 it was the guy then who followed him down the street. Mm, yeah. And, he, and Simon Hayek's like, ooh, and then she's like, ah... <laughs> he uses that actor a lot too, that guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's in a few of his movies. He's in From Dusk Till Dawn. He's great in that movie. He's, a, he's the Mariachi in that movie who then turns into a vampire. 
Um, and it's pretty great. In in From Dusk Till Dawn, you actually get to see the penis gun used that you see in this movie. In this movie, in his guitar case, they have the the little penis uh, machine gun cod piece. She grabs it and starts playing with it, Sama Hayek, and he's like, you can have that if you want. <laughs> you actually get to see that used in From Dusk Till Dawn. And so that's fun. That's like one of those things in Rodriguez's work of there are actors or even props that you will see come up again and again and again. And it's kind of cute. That's fun. So I appreciate that. Um, So this movie is action centric as well. Did you have a particular favorite moment of action or uh, striking visual that came from the action? (laughs) Um. I mean, one of the climactic scenes where his two friends appear and they have their own, like, guitar case weapons. Um, <laughs> you know, that's it's funny in concept, but then the execution, there's, yeah, just a lot of cool, like, explosions and guns being shot. It's awesome. That's what you're trying to say. It was awesome. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, man, my favorite shootout has to be the bar where he rocks up at the bar and Cheech Marin's just like, let's look in your case. He's like, sure, sure, sure. And just how how out of hand it gets. I love how Antonio Banderas shoots guns in this movie. Like the way he just kind of like uh, thrusts while firing, like he's really like like trying to like punch the bullets out of the gun. It's really interesting. I really like it. Yeah. It adds to this frantic nature of his character. Yeah, you were asking me about specific moments, but if you ask me about, like, you know, general things, yeah, the general style of his, you know, gunplay was very fun. It it very much reminded me of, um, this obviously came much later, but the Devil May Cry series, which that series' whole, you know, modus operandi thing that it's known for is you have to not only play it well, but you have to look cool while doing it, be very stylish. And I I feel like a lot of uh, inspiration would have been taken from this, like the way he shoots his guns looks very similar to what you do in that game. I also got reminded reminded of, is it Metal Gear Solid 3, in which somebody, one of the... One of the foes that you fight against has like a bazooka, and they do the exact same like over the top stance that uh, the guy with the guitar case bazooka has. There, there is something in Metal Gear Solid where someone does that pose. Uh, apparently, Japan really likes that pose, and it pops up in a few places. But oh, I'm sure it's just a regular pose. But like, I couldn't help but when I saw it here, I thought of the Metal Gear series. Yeah, it made me think of that. I thought the exact same thing, but I can't pinpoint where it happened. I think Snake might have been the one that did it, but I can't say for sure. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I my favorite, yeah, the bar fight scene, and I love the comedy. Okay, here's something too. I really appreciate in this that everyone has to reload. Like, there's so many moments of quiet in the shootouts because everyone's reloading. And just hearing everyone's, like, clicking of their ammunition being put back in, I really appreciated that touch. It's something that I didn't notice when I was a kid, but I really appreciated it on this rewatch of how much time is spent reloading the weaponry. I thought that was really effective in the comedy and in the drama of the action scenes. Yeah, it really lent at some realism because, yeah, in action films, usually you're there for, you know, the rawness and, you know, you can do a fun little game where you count how many bullets have been fired from, you know, a single pistol when they usually only hold like 15 bullets. But it's like, oh, I've been counting and there's been like 45 without a single reload. Because you don't want the action to slow down. No, That's yeah, yeah. You why. want, and you want the character who's doing, you know, the action with the gun 
to seem as imposing and strong as ever, so as possible. You want him to be the best. Yep, so the moments of reloading are moments where, you know, he he's vulnerable, basically. You want him to be a guy. And in the bar, that's what Cheech Marin should have said to him. He should have said to, to Antonio Banderas, like, whoa, buddy, just be a guy. And then Antonio would have shed a tear and he's like, you're right, I shouldn't be, just be a guy. <laughs> and then they would have high-fived and then he would have left and gone to the Vietnam War. But yeah, I look, that bar scene has one of the, my favorite action moments ever, which is when the guy runs at him to try and stab him and Antonio Banderas like just like has the guy land on him and he just like yeah, he's kicks on the him ground. in the air and shoots him while he's being flung in the air. It was amazing. Yeah, that was stylish as hell. That, see, that's what I mean. Like it blows to me. It's very stylish, and whether it's style over substance is the question to ask. For me, it has enough little bits of substance, but. It is there to be stylish and just to be fun. I wouldn't walk away from Desperado saying, hmm, I really felt the emotional themes here and I really felt the brother v brother dynamic. Oh, oh it's so dramatic. Oh, <laughs> I'm crying a tear at the themes. They were brothers. I can't believe it. Yes, they were brothers. Oh, did you see that twist coming? No, no, I actually can't believe it. <laughs> did it work? Does it work as a twist? What do you think? For me, no. Why not? Uh, well, again, this goes back to the fact that I watched El Mariachi first, and the just the fact that yeah, you know, this guy's apparently meant to be the boss of the villain from the first film, and the first film was really just focusing on the fact that you know this guy's com- the main character is completely unrelated to this whole uh, you know conflict that's happening. Um, so the fact that it ruins his life and you know changes him for the worse. Um, adds to that level of tragedy and just the f- adding in the fact that like, oh, and his brother was apparently the one in charge of everything all along just seems a bit like, you know, that that it just doesn't well, feel real to me. The Colombians are actually in charge of everything all along as we do learn in the movie because even his brother isn't in charge of everything. He has the Colombians in charge of him, who we don't see, but we get Danny Trejo's existence to represent them. Yeah, like yeah, but they, but they said that the guy in the first film was his subordinate. Yes, 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 he's his subordinate. But, like, they also raise the fact of he didn't order that guy to kill his brother's wife and all of or his brother's girl, all of that. That just was a thing that happened on its own. He's, like, surprised. I like that he was surprised that it was Antonio Banderas. He's like, oh, you're the guy that's doing all of this? But you're just a mariachi. <laughs> <laughs> like... Like, I like the relationship that's revealed at the end of he's the big brother and Antonio's the little brother. And I like that he treats it like it's really surprising because he's like, but you're my dumb musician brother. How can you become a killing man? He's like, well, because your subordinate killed my girl and shot me in the hand. And he's just like, wow, shit, that's terrible. But... You killed so many of my men, and you made me look and you're embarrassed. Like you've made me look bad in front of the people who conquer me. So I have to kill you and your girl. Yeah, oh, but but you it's going to be a clean slate, me. I promise. Yeah, yeah. 
I also like that he comments is a meta thing too, right? In terms of you, you, you keep coming back to the original film, no matter what, you keep coming back to it, and it's because it is a film that's a sequel, but also remaking the film of the first one because the villain points out at the end. Well, it doesn't really matter that first film because you've got a new girl that replaced that previous girl. See, things just go back to the status quo and repeat themselves. Yep. Like I'm a villain in a white suit. You versed a villain in a white suit. Yeah, a fair-skinned villain in a white suit. Yeah, and I liked. I like. I appreciated that. Uh, one of the striking visuals I really liked in the movie was Salma Hayek having odd coloured shoes, like different shoes, and seeing her run up to that jeep and you just see the shoes and the music kicks in and you're like, oh yeah, Salma's going to take care of this now. I also appreciate very much that she just murders people and doesn't weep about it. In another movie, they would have made the girl... Ki- like, in Tango and Cash, if Terry Hatcher murdered one of the bad guys, they would have had that moment in which she like was shaking and being like, I can't believe I killed a guy. 100% they would have had that moment. Here, there is no that moment. She just kills people and she's like, they were trying to kill me, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, it was self-defense. It was, yeah, but I appreciate, I like that. There's no, this movie cuts the fat. There's no fat in this movie. It's just lean meat. It just keeps going from moment to moment and then it just abruptly ends. <laughs> Did you read much of the trivia? Um, of on IMDb, I read through it all, yeah. And so, how do you feel knowing the trivia of why the movie abruptly ends, which is the violence was too extreme, so they cut just to, they just faded out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The climax were faded to white. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, I guess when I was watching the film. I, I kind of was with it a bit more, but then, yeah, thinking back on it, it was like, oh, that was really weird. Like, and again, because the the whole brother reveal, I know it was foreshadowed when uh, the main character saw the guy, you know, on the street, um, but it felt like that reveal only existed within that scene. Like, it didn't seem to matter after. So it, it did feel very disconnected and, and kind of, I, I guess, retrospectively, it makes it seem a bit sloppy. Yeah, I have a problem with the final act of the movie in general. I just feel like the pacing is a little bit off, and it kind of feels like we've... I don't know why, but it feels like the momentum of the plot thus far hasn't earned getting to that place, yet where else would you go? Like, yes, just storm the guy's building and shoot him in the face, I guess, is where you have to go, but... Yeah, I think that this film, although very good, it does feel like a lot of disparate elements just shoved into a movie. Like, Danny Trejo doesn't even need to be in this movie, other than what a cool gimmick that is. Yeah, and it, and it was a cool gimmick. Yeah, their their gunproof car didn't save them from him that easily. <laughs> yeah, he I was, got, I was, I mean, ex- I was he expecting, killed, like, a he headshot. He fucked him up good. Yeah, yeah. right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but... That's another aspect of this movie that I think that was interesting is you are a fan of anime, right? And you're a fan of Japanese things. And there's a lot of Japanese things in which the plot is, let's just verse the next wacky henchman until we eventually get to the big-ass henchman and then kill him and then it's over. 
Do you think that's applicable here with Desperado as a movie in its own right? And what is so fun about those type of stories? Um, well, what's so fun about those stories is that you can have a whole cavalcade of personalities to go through um, and work out, you know, the sort of dynamics that they have with the main character, what they bring to the table, how they challenge the main character, how the main character might take them down in a very unique way. Um, and yeah, this film, I think, mostly goes for the generic henchman route, but it does have some unique players like it has um, Antonio. But no, that's the main character. Um, it has Danny Trejo, you know, he's got his throwing knives <laughs> thing. Um, mm-hmm. it's got the the guy you like who chased him and then did a very bloody, uh, death. I agree. That is an aspect of the trope or the genre. I don't even know what to say it is, but I enjoy it. And Desperado doesn't go for wacky over the top ones as much, but more just like very super specific, like, Here's the guy with the throwing knives. Here's the guy with the long hair. Here's the guy who is the second right-hand man of the boss, and he drives. He wants to drive his normal Jeep, but they keep forcing him to drive the bulletproof car. But don't worry, he is run over by his precious Jeep that he wanted to drive throughout the whole movie. <laughs> you have the guy who was like the pretty boy who uh, got his leg broken at the beginning, right? And he like killed that guy, the bold guy in the in the fighting ring or whatever they had. You have the weird cowboy guy with the mustache. You have um, whatever the fuck. I mean, I know he isn't a henchman necessarily, but like just a random character of Quentin Tarantino existing in this movie just to get killed instantly. You have him, <laughs> and he was wacky. There's wacky characters left and right. Yeah, and you have the one that never got to fight the main character, Christo. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so He's yeah, the there's a whole plethora of them. Yet the girl, what happened to her? The sexy girl that uh, the boss guy was like, "You stay here and guard my base because I know you'll do a competent job." And then she didn't. Um. Well, I think the <laughs> the proper answer would be that the scene was too violent, so they faded to white. Right, but they set her up as like you're the competent one, and then she isn't. She lets him in. Mm. immediately his lesson was if you see someone you don't know shoot them (laughs) yeah i I don't know i guess i I guess there was something shot but we didn't get to see it because violent violent was this movie movies violence good for you like were you satisfied with it or did you think it was too much or too silly or not enough by today's standards what do you think I I think I just enjoyed it for, you know, all the stylish decisions they made. Like we said, Antonio Banderas doing a lot of, like, uh, you know, kind of flicking his wrists while he's shooting. Um, A lot of cool, you know, camera poses where he's, like, aiming the gun at the camera firing. Um, The the slow setup to the, the action scene that happens in the hotel room where, like, she's playing on the guitar while he's mm. getting ready to shoot people while her eyes are closed, and then like he's <laughs> aiming the gun straight at her face, and it's like, ooh, this is weird. And then he just kicks her. Yeah. <laughs> but he just that's got to be a fun little awakening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciated how cheesy the sex scene was in terms of they laid the guitar down, and then it transitions, fades to her laying down. Like, get it? Her body's like a guitar. Mm. And-, okay, and you just reminded me of my big laugh. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, as 
the fact that that sex scene happened, it was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, they're having a sex scene, whatever. But then the fact that it was kind of a setup to hard cutting to the villain having sex, <laughs> and it's like this raw, unro- unromantic, you know, oh, 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 kind of thing, and the girl's <laughs> into it while he's not, and then she kisses him. Again? She- Could you do that noise again? Uh, the. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I'm going to clip that for myself and go to sleep. Go for it. it. I give you permission. I'll do it again if you want. Um, do it again. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Rareware, please hire me for Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then it led oh, yeah. into the blowing the smoke into her mouth and making her cough. The, that really got to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's a memorable scene to me as well because I was like, when I was a kid, I was like, "Oh, this guy's so bad that he doesn't even stop smoking his cigar." Mm. And and again, it contrasts the very romantic scene we just saw. Yeah, with very cornerly romantic to then stark, realistic but brutally cynical sex scene. <laughs> that was a big laugh. That was a big laugh for me yeah, as well. My biggest. Uh, I did get a laugh at, uh, in the sex scene with Antonio and Sama Hayek that one of the shots, one of the quick shots, was him putting his spur and like, ro- like, like um, trailing it along her butt cheek. I thought that was very amusing. It made me laugh. It was like, oh, Antonio, you naughty boy. Um, is it weird for you to remember that Antonio Banderas plays this character, but in the Shrek films as Puss in Boots? I didn't make that connection until now, but you know what? First of all, I've seen seven, no, nine films with him in it now, and yes, I like that. He's played one character, and it's this character for you, (laughs) and one of them's an animated cat. (laughs) And you know how I feel about cats. He loves cats. What's the word for cat in Polish? Um, uh, there's kot, or if you want to be a bit cute, kotek. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that is anything adding an ek at the end cute? Uh, like Bartek? Oh, uh, well, that's more for like it's more informal than cute. But you know, Kotek sounds cute. Uh, there's probably other words you can do like a uh, kicha, but it's not really formal there. Mm, fair enough. Bit more anything, of a sound effect. Anything else you want to say about Desperado? Overall, I would recommend it. It's a fun throwaway time well made uh for its budget it looks much more expensive than it actually is the acting's all around pretty decent and i find the humor to be endearing uh but anything you want to say and do you recommend it uh yeah i do recommend it it is a very fun film there's a lot of good stuff going on um and if you haven't seen el mariachi then yeah you will not have any of the issues that i had um, but El Mariachi is a good film, so definitely check that one out too. But this is the Desperado episode, so yes, thumbs up from me. So, talking about you, you are recommending our next episode, and it's a lot of pressure, because it's always a pressure to recommend an episode, because you have your standards, how you recommend things, but now you have, it's the 300th episode of the show, and it's the start of our spooky month, in which we talk about spooky movies, mm. because it's october time, so not necessarily just horror, but just that October vibe type of feel, the spooky vibe, the the supernatural or whatever it is. So I'm keen to hear what you have given up for us with all of these uh, pressures upon you. Yeah, um, I'll I'll state right off the bat that um, 
you know, with it being our 300th episode, but we're, you know, not recording together, we can't do our usual thing that we like to do. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I talked to the party who usually joins us for these types of occasions, and he uh-huh. said that, uh, when things go back to normal, he would very much like to, you know, do a sort of late, uh, 300th mm-hmm. episode special of some sort. So, you know, maybe yeah. in the future we can look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, as for what I have picked, uh, for realsies for our 300th episode and the start of our spooky month 2021, um, I am going with a film that I don't know much about. Ooh. Yep. So, you know, we haven't done mystery box in a while. Maybe this will be a bit of a mystery for us. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you know the film, in which case, oh, whoops. Um, it is a 2014 horror film called Starry Eyes. I know of the title, but I haven't actually seen it. I've heard it been like one of those ones where it's like, you should check this out, and I just never have investigated any further. Okay, one of the only things that I know about it is that it's apparently about actors, and I thought, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you and I, we have uh, drama degrees, we know a little bit about acting, so maybe that'll be a bit fun for us, you know, on an extra mm-hmm. layer. But the big question is, is Paul Giamatti in it? No, we'll we'll have to save that with our other party in the future. Okay, but is Frankie Muniz in it? You know what? I gave a definitive no to the Paul Giamatti thing, and I probably have a similar answer for Frankie, but I said I know next to nothing about it, so maybe I'm wrong. So look forward to the Frankie Muniz horror-led film Starry Eyes for next episode. <laughs> Make sure to check that out in, in the interim. You can hit us up on those social medias of Facebook and Twitter. We're always posting stuff on there. You can uh, listen to us on all those podcast catches and hosting sites of your choice. Give us a rating and review while you're at it. It'll be greatly appreciated. Bartek, a pleasure as it always is to talk films with you to talk desperado with you to talk about a movie in which a guy has a bazooka guitar case another one has machine gun guitar cases and then one just has normal weapons inside of the guitar case a pleasure talking to you about a film as serious as that pleasure 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 you making fun of me no (laughs) 